the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Danny Cannell, Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons, and Tom Fernelli. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. Danny Cannell in state-ordered quarantine. Hope you are watching on YouTube right now. If you're not, you can subscribe. In fact, please subscribe to youtube.com slash cover3. Of course, we are available in podcast form. If you're watching us on YouTube, it's multi-platform excellence. We've got a lot to get to today. Uh, We are going to let you know the top 10 team that is going to lose next to a team outside of the top 10. It has happened each of the last three weeks. If that trend holds, we're going to let you know who it is. And some more uh, storylines ahead to the weekend, in addition to uh, the Georgia-Alabama 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be on CBS, CBS in prime time. We're going to do a big game breakdown episode of that later in the week, really diving into all the different aspects of that top five matchup, top three matchup, actually, and, uh, and much more. But listen, we, we know that this is, this is more than just the SEC on CBS podcast. That was two podcast brands ago. I think the SEC on CBS <laughs> podcast, we've been rebranded a couple times since then, but we want to make sure we're covering the entire, uh, country. So, you know, we're, we're going to be looking ahead to week seven as well. Uh, but I think, I think we got to start where, um, it's, it's pretty bad. Like there's a, there's a couple of places around the country where the fans are exasperated. They're, they're looking around, they're wondering how we got to this place. They came into the season with college football playoff or conference championship hopes. And now you're just like, you're, you're wondering, are we even going to have a 500 season? You know, what's, what does the future of our coaching position look like? I, I got to think that if you are, uh, if you are an LSU or a Texas fan, and that was remember an interesting non-conference game that we would have had on this, on this year's schedule, the, the return visit from LSU's win in Austin last year, things it's not, not a great Monday feeling. Uh, what's, Barton, what's the Texas message board looking like right now? Like, what's how how are things looking at Horns two four seven right now? I would inc- I would encourage a visit if if anybody <laughs> just you just sitting in the uh, I don't know the the dentist office waiting room sitting in the uh, the airport you're traveling just just take a little gander over at the the Texas message boards. Um, I mean, I mean, not like I know how sensitive message board communities can be about their 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 plights, their struggles, their their times of of destitute. Uh, but it's just I think it gives you an idea about like some of us might be able to excuse what's going on from the outside looking in, but when you're there um, and you're a fan, and there's there is I think an understandable frustration with Texas right now. And there is a lot of booster talk, a lot of buyout talk, a lot of this. I know know that booster. Um, I don't know how much, you know, we haven't seen any, any sort of substantiated reporting on, and not, not the, and don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone's claiming Tom Herman is like going to get fired mid season or anything like that, but, but his ass uh, is on the hot seat. Unquestionably. Yes. I think he's, I think his ass is on the hot seat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, um, and so and I think things got to get better. And I think that there has, and, and there's sort of talk of like a, you know, a win total. It's, you know, got to get to seven and three or whatever it is. Um, and, and again, look, all this is, I don't want to act like I'm sort of reporting all this or that there are even substantiated reports out there at all, but that's, that's where the buzz is right now. And 
I think what's interesting about it, and we talked about, I don't think we have to sort of dig back into like what's, what's the issues are with Tom Herman um, necessarily. Cause we've, we've talked about it in, in the, in just sort of the reaction to the game. But I think what's interesting is, is just that Tom Herman, he was the, the apple of everybody's eye. He was the guy for Texas. He was the home run hire. He was the, the guy they were targeting like two years out. He was the guy that beat LSU on that, that staved off a less miles firing to get him and all this stuff. And if he doesn't work out, I, I think what's interesting more so than just fans are restless and want the coach gone because that happens everywhere. What's interesting is like, all right, where do you think you can go next? And, you know, you're seeing the Urban Meyer talk. You're, you know, you're, you're seeing the, you're seeing some Kyle Shanahan talk though. That sounds like a little bit uh, far-fetched. I, I can maybe get behind some Urban talk, but I just think that sort of the, to me, is going to be, a part, like it has to be part of your decision if you're thinking about going in a different direction in a year like this, you know, what you better make sure you're confident in who you can get. Cause look, it's not a total disaster with Tom Herman. He's, it's just not what you want it to be yet. Um, so I, I, I think as, as that is fleshed out within the 40 acres, um, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, what the, what the conversation looks like moving forward about who, who they're trying to get. There, there are so many layers to this that are just fascinating to me. And A, like Tom Herman's on the hot seat, but I feel like whether it's Texas or Texas A&M, the coach is always on the hot seat there. Because last week we were talking about the same thing with Jimbo. Like, is this what you're paying $75 million for? They go out and beat Florida. That quiets things a little bit. And now, you know, Texas loses to Oklahoma. And now it's Tom's back on the hot seat. But you also mentioned, like, when Tom was the number one clear-cut top choice for the top schools that's that offseason when he was available and it was between LSU and Texas and I think about how there was you know the back and forth there between LSU Texas Texas ends up getting them LSU ends up with Orgeron and at the time there's a lot of like wow going from Tom Herman to Ed Orgeron talk about a step backward having to hire your interim coach but then of course a couple like eight months ago LSU is doing victory laps because Ed Orgeron has won a national title and Texas is Texas and they haven't really done a whole lot since hiring Herman. But now eight months later, yes, LSU still has its national title, but Tom Herman's on the hot seat and LSU's one and two and unranked. And there's questions there and Ed's getting kind of feisty and ornery with his coordinator situation again. And then now going to the Urban Meyer aspect of it, let's not forget that when Herman left Ohio State to take over this job, Herman was like kind of critical of a lot of things Herman was doing at Texas and saying and openly saying it while he was, you know, still coaching. And then while he's been, you know, in the media sitting at Fox. And I think that if Tom Herman did get fired, I think oh. I think Urban would want to replace him. Honestly, <laughs> that is because I don't interesting element there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because like I know Herman, they won a national title together at Ohio State, but I've always gotten the sense that while they worked together, I don't know if they're that close or if they're that friendly. That's the kind of impression I get just from the way that they've talked or like Urban's treated it, but Urban could just be being Urban. So if Herman gets fired and Urban replaces him again, there's just a whole lot of crazy weird angles about this. Urban literally put his job on the line for Zach Smith. And we know Zach Smith and Tom Herman don't like mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. The idea that Urban would be more motivated. Like, and again, like reminder to all of our listeners and all of our viewers that none of this is reporting. It is just talk and college football is talk. And that's why this is so much fun. <laughs> let us, let us do this. Let us. <laughs> Please. Like this is, this is the kind of irresponsible chatter that has powered the intrigue in this dumb, beautiful sport for decades. And too many times our wildest fantasies, if they don't come true, they're pretty close to being right. And that whole, uh, after everything that we made of Urban Meyer and the potential of going to USC, the idea that he would even be holding out, thinking it's like, well, Tom Herman did just fire both of his coordinators. So I might, uh, might just sort of sit back and wait to see how things go uh, right now in Austin right now. Well, you know what's funny is... Um I saw a post, I saw a, t a Texas message board post that was like, you know what, like 
you know, Herman's, you know, needs to be gone, but you know, we, we should keep your and Ash and like those, like they, they need time to get this, their system in place. And, and Ash um, was a I mean, urban the, Meyer defensive coordinator yeah, the, and, and, and offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Like your was at Ohio State's staff. Like, like Urban could just step right in and keep the coordinators as he knows and just like, keep it rolling. Um, but it's it's crazy to think about it's it it and and I do think the the reality is like Urban Meyer is an incredibly competitive person. He you can't tell me he doesn't like love this stuff, and you you can't tell me he wouldn't be intrigued by the idea of getting a national championship at a third different school. Um, you know, and that and and to think that all like to see this. Um, graveyard of coaches that have come through and failed and, and to be the guy that steps in and gets that thing right. Um, I, it, it, it makes a lot more sense than a lot of the other far-fetched rumors that we typically hear. He wants the LeBron championship third, third program, mm-hmm. third ring. Yeah. That's, I mean, that could be that's the only way, like if you look at the way things have gone, the way Saban's been at Alabama and the way Dabo is kind of climbing at Clemson, the only way really for the urban at this point to get back into the greatest college football coach of all time conversation, if that's something he cares about would be to go to a third school and win a national title at a third different school. And if he could do that at Texas, you know, it's just, yeah. Florida, Ohio state and Texas is a stupid trio uh, uh, to be able to put, uh, as a, as, as a rep. All right. So to bring it back to what Herman, cause Tom Herman was out here. What was he saying that, uh, you know, we've got issues to fix, but they're fixable and, and they do have this coming week off. They are scheduled to be back in action on the 24th against Baylor at home. So the remaining games, Baylor at Oklahoma state, West Virginia at Kansas, and then home against Iowa state, and then the last game of the regular season scheduled to be at Kansas State on December 5th. What was, I mean, you could, Barton, I have not looked at that, so you could use the uh, the message board win total talk to inform your opinion here, but where where do y'all see Tom, Herman, Tom Herman's future hanging looking at this Texas schedule? Like where where is it maybe a number or maybe a game that you can't win, or maybe a game that you can't lose? I, I think you can't lose the next one. I mean, their next game right now is scheduled for Baylor. Baylor just had another game postponed because of positive tests. So if they come back and they're playing a Baylor team that has been dealing with COVID cases and contact tracing and having games postponed all season long, it hasn't played in, I, I don't know, it'd probably be three weeks or so at that point by the time that game's played. If they come back against that team and lose off of a bye week of their own, it's going to turn up a lot. The heart, this is what hard, this is what is so hard about the big 12 is there with all the parody and with all the competitiveness of that conference, there's, there really is still only two blue bloods. Like yeah. there's two, only two teams that you're kind of allowed to lose to. And yet all of them are capable of beating you. And so it doesn't look good if you lose to Oklahoma State either. It doesn't look good if you lose to West Virginia. It doesn't look good if you lose to Iowa State or Kansas State. You could lose to all of them, any of them. Um, and so I, I don't really know what it looks like. I just I, – it, it, it's – and, and, I, and I, I, was, I was tempted to say I just think the product's got to look better. It's, maybe it's not about wins and losses. It's about the product looking better. But I'm not sure that that's, that's true. I think it probably is about wins and losses. And it's about uh, – at this point, you sort of lost your – you lost your safety net a little bit, a close, a, you barely surviving against Texas Tech and going over against a you know an average Oklahoma team and, and TCU. That's you man, you just you just lost your margin for error. So um, I don't know, two more losses along the way feels like it, it's 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 it'd be tough to swallow. Yeah, because this was like this was a perfect situation for Texas because they not, it's not just that they came into the season with the senior quarterback and Oklahoma is going to a young and experienced quarterback for the first time, but going into this game on Saturday, they were coming off the loss to TCU, but Oklahoma's reeling. They've lost two conference games and you've got a chance, not only with your senior quarterback against a freshman quarterback to, you know, 
beat Oklahoma, but literally like not literally, but, you know, put a knife in their season, really, you know, the death stroke that would have knocked Oklahoma out of any real, you know, legitimate big 12 talk. It definitely would have taken them out of the playoff talk and you blew it. And I feel like that was a moment where it's going to be like a turning point. Like if they had won this game, that might've been the, the starting point or the upward trajectory of this program under Tom Herman. They might've looked back and that might've been the quote unquote signature win where everything turned around, but they didn't. And now it really looks like it's going to go the other way because yeah, you look at the schedule that they have left and you just look at the way that they've played. And it's not unreasonable to think that they're going to lose two more times at some point. I think the Iowa state, Kansas state finish is brutal because Texas could lose both those games. And if Texas finishes a hot seat season with losses to Iowa state and Kansas state with a backup QB now. Oh yeah. Cause Skylar Thompson, not just out uh, for the game, but now out for the rest of the season. Like mm-hmm. if that Kansas state game in Manhattan, no Skylar Thompson, though granted we would be like, you know, fully transitioned on for the Wildcats yeah. by then. But like that's, that that's it. Like you could you could go three and one, Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas, and Oklahoma State, but you finish with a couple of losses to decidedly non Big Twelve blue blood schools. That could be a wrap, man. I don't know. Then Urban to Austin, let's get it going, boys. I think we did. I think we have. <laughs> uh, one all right, one other program mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. We mentioned LSU's role in all this and LSU, you know, from Tom Herman to coach O now, all of a sudden the Tigers are one and two after losing, uh, to the nerd and like you have, can that, can that just be our, our designated nickname for Eli? Yeah. The nerd, the nerd. And we say it with reverence. Yeah. With love. I mean, it's, listen, it is very, you need somebody who's going to be great in job interviews and great on the chalkboard when you're drawing up your offense. But here's the thing. Like, here's my contention with Eli Drinkwitz being cast as a nerd is he's, he looks nerdy, but he's got like really good swagger for a nerd. Like nerds are typically a great time to be a nerd. Nerds are swaggering (laughs) all over the place these days. Like there's like nerds are like socially awkward and a little bit like reserved and don't, you know, have some sort of self-conscious Eli Drinkwitz is from a personality standpoint. He's like an alpha nerd. He's, he's a, he's a nerd. That's his nickname. The alpha nerd. (laughs) The alpha nerd. All right. I can roll with that. I mean, he never played. Did he not? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like he's he got his start by being quality control for Gus Malzahn in high school ball. You know, I mean, you're just you're you you really have been working. It, you showed up with the annexation of Puerto Rico and <laughs> on the printout on the dot matrix printer, and the high school coach was like, "You got it. Well, we're gonna we're gonna let you on staff right here." <laughs> um, All right, yeah, All but right. Alpha, alpha nerd it is. Yeah, alpha nerd. Yeah, okay, because again, with reverence, coming swagger nerd. At He's, least coming. Yeah. I mean, I didn't play football, right? And I'm out here talking about it. He didn't play football and he's out here coaching it in the SEC. All right. Game respect game. Alpha nerd. (laughs) All right. So, uh, they, now all of a sudden LSU looks like it's in trouble because defensively they are horrendous. We talked about that a little bit, uh, on the instant reaction pod, but the, the focus on Bo Pelini here is, uh, very, very harsh. And, you know, as we saw, and I think y'all mentioned this as we were getting ready to record, as we saw uh, Coach O sort of, you know, get after Matt Canada, get after Dave Aranda. I, I mentioned that going into the season, there was some some commentary that, uh, you know, <laughs> that he thought, um, he thought that, the schemes under Dave Aranda were too complicated. He was looking forward to Bo Pelini getting back in the four, three lining up and getting after it. And now all of a sudden on the sec teleconference today, coach O says, uh, I don't care if we just run one play on defense, it's gotta be one that we can execute. So, you know, LSU now goes from, we understand there's going to be a step back, but we've got all this talent to like, I don't even know if it's a 500 season. Like, am I overreacting? Is there a bright light uh, or any reason to believe that the Tigers can turn this around? 
define turn it around. I mean, because like, can can they finish above five hundred? Yeah, but like, define like compete for the SEC West? No. Mm. But the, I mean, so the thing, the all right, so they their common game with South Carolina. They both beat Vanderbilt forty-one to seven. Um, they got Florida, South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. All right, Arkansas and Ole Miss are no longer with, with games you can just chalk up as wins. South Carolina, it's just by definition has been proven to be at least on similar footing uh, based on the way they beat Vandy. Uh, Auburn is still Auburn, well, even if it's a little bit down Auburn, they're playing a little bit down LSU. Florida, Alabama, you know, A&M all of a sudden is a top 10 team, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there isn't a game on this schedule. There's not one where you just say, well, at least they got that one. That's mm-hmm. a win. I mean, they've played those games. It was Missouri and Vanderbilt. You would have played like Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. Like you could like in before the season, if you're chalking up, like if you're going through their schedule, you're saying, Well, I mean, they should start three and oh, and then let's see what happens. Right. And that's the the, the easy part of their schedule is gone. And so they've got some you got some fixing to do it. I, I kind of, uh, the, the, the Bo Pelini, like Ed Ogeron is a, it seems like he's gone after the year, right? Like it just like, it's, a, it's almost a given. I mean, as bad as they've played so far, depending on how the Florida game goes, you might be gone before that. I mean, they still got to play. I mean, uh, look, maybe, maybe their defense is going to make a lot of improvements, but Ed Ogeron look, I'm, been, I'm just going to take it over. <laughs> he's, he's made, kind of splash hires in the past. Like I remember like, so Matt Canada was sort of the hot name among the offensive coordinators. He, he whiffed on Lane Kiffin, couldn't get Lane because Lane went to FAU. And then he went Canada, who was his backup as sort of the hot coordinator. And that I just didn't fit what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. And so his second hire was much less the hot coordinator and more Steve Insminger. I trust him. Let's just get it done here. Um, I, I just, I, I, I wonder if, Bo Pelini was just big name, hot hire, let us roll. And, and, and I, I, like what the next, the backup to Bo Pelini will become because things got to get like this defense is terrible. They're, they don't, they're, they're not tackling well. They're not doing the fundamental stuff. Well, they're not getting lined up. They're not like, it's just, there's, there's communication issues. It's, it's just kind of bad all the way around. And so, um, I think the message is 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 the right one from from Coach O is, is just we gotta get simpler we gotta get these guys playing because they're thinking, and credit to Eli Drink credit to the Alpha Nerd because he made them think a lot in that game. Um, that offense was was running circles around them. But, but hey, at least because to to answer your initial question, like kind of the, the how bad is it at LSU deal or whatever, like how bad is it going to be? The offense, even though they didn't run the ball, the offense. Did put up forty one. Terrace uh, Marshall Jr.'s still sick. Terrace Marshall Jr. just broke all, you know Jamar Chase's record. Like so, the the offense can still score points. I think they'll still be will will continue to score points. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're scoring. You know, in three games they've scored 34, 41, and forty one. The offense is not the problem, but the fact that they've scored that many points and they're one and two, you know, not great. They're tied for. <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting, like, the we, ex, we excused last year's uncharacteristic LSU defense as a byproduct of playing opposite this wide-open offense that was not characteristic of LSU or, frankly, any SEC team. And I wonder now, as we think back, or if we were to look back, if, if we would judge that differently defensively based on how this defense is playing this year. Now they had some dudes, don't like, you know, they had Patrick Queen and the the DBs and and but I don't know. Like there 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 seems to be something uh missing whether it's just physicality, discipline, fundamentals, I don't know, but there's 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 this is not the LSU that we're used to seeing defensively. Yeah, but that defense also got better as the season wore on. I mean, like that we were surprised by it really early because, you know, we were like that Texas game. We weren't used to seeing LSU playing those kind of shootouts. So we were just still kind of 
acclimating ourselves to what was going to be LSU. But if you look, then there was the 38 points against Vanderbilt, which were like, what the hell were you third year? Like, right. this is, this is bad. But then it was, you know, they got into the SEC, they held Florida to 28. They held Mississippi state to 13, Auburn to 20, Alabama put up 41 on them, but it's Alabama, Mississippi put up 37 on them, but they were doing that to everybody. And then they pretty much shut down Arkansas A&M and the, then they, you know, held Georgia to 10 points in the SEC championship. They held Oklahoma to 28 in the playoff. They held Clemson to 25. That defense got better as the year went along, and it really wasn't as bad. It just wasn't up to the typical LSU standards. Right. right. This yeah. year's LSU defense is bad. It is bad. Mm. Good luck. <laughs> Your last place in the SEC West. <laughs> and uh, and you and there's not there is not one uh, SEC West team like maybe Auburn doesn't look all that threatening, right? I guess Arkansas doesn't have a super dynamic offense, but mm-hmm. I mean if, they should be favored against. I don't hell. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they will like, be favored at Auburn though. No, I I. I I wouldn't think so either. I don't guess. I guess they'll be favored against Arkansas. Yeah, I would think that Arkansas is really like as they'll be favored against South Carolina and they'll be favored against Arkansas. But honestly, looking at things right now, those are the only two games I think on the schedule we could say with like extreme confidence that they'll be favored in. Coming up on the other side, what does the bounce back look like for teams like Miami and Florida? What top 10 teams should be on upset alert going into the weekend and other storylines we've got our eyes on for week seven next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We want to welcome a new show to the CBS Sports Podcast family. Finally, Kay Golazzo! is a daily soccer podcast, that's right, that aims to bring you the best analysis and commentary from the world's game. The gambling previews, an immediate match recaps, and react to all the latest news from the Champions League to the Premier League to the Americans in Europe and everything in between. It's truly a must-listen if you're like me, a soccer fan. This Wednesday, the team will be releasing their first full episode to recap the international break, of course. But you can go subscribe now to K Galazzo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Yeah! Yes! That felt good. <laughs> Great job. Soccer, noted soccer fan, Barton Simmons, soccer dad, Barton Simmons, uh, with an A plus promo for our friends Kay Galazzo um, and the new the new soccer podcast on the CBS Sports Podcast family. It was the international break. We had no Fiorentina. We had no Napoli. We had no Aston Villa. Mm-mm. Everybody's... Every, it's been an empty couple weeks. It's been empty, empty couple weeks. Um, Too much football, not enough football. <laughs> <laughs> That's a free sounder, Kay Galazzo. If you want to, if you want to get that from Barton Simmons, that's uh, we'll, we'll let you let you have that one. Um, viewers on YouTube, remember, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/cover3. We are not going to be handing out um, wardrobe changes for every single show, but I have I have uh, made a little change because we had some breaking news. We had some breaking news. Um, so we've got a cancellation in the sec and it was funny because as the Missouri and Vanderbilt it has been postponed until December because of positive COVID taste tests at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt was already very thin, uh, going into this past weekend for, uh, it's game against South Carolina, South Carolina, put it on them. Um, and you know, it was interesting because when the news first came across, I will admit that I didn't. It didn't click to me as being like world shaking because we've had 25, maybe 20, it was 25 going into the weekend games postponed or canceled because of positive COVID tests, but it is the first one in the SEC. And so I understand that 
uh, you know, trying to figure out it was new territory for the Southeastern Conference. You know, and Tom, I, I don't know. Did I do okay in my hit? I was kind of like, hey, yeah, buds. Like, it's, it's, it's what's happening. This is, this is the way it goes. The, the, I mean, the puzzle pieces are going to have to be rearranged. It's just what's going to happen. On a scale of one to five chips, I would say it was a three and a half chip hit. Yeah, it was. It was. I would like to get back to cover three podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what? How how does this stand out to uh, to y'all at least in terms of looking at it going into this weekend for uh, for maybe the Missouri side of things or maybe even for the Vanderbilt side of things? Uh, now just trying to get the team literally healthy enough to be able to go compete. Next, they were, they were, it's like I saw a tweet. They were down to 56, 56. players against South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not only were they down to 56 players, four of those players were quarterbacks. You know, like they're, they're, they're healthy at quarterback. And they had like, <laughs> so what does that put them? Like 50, 53 for the yeah. for position players. I mean, they're, so they're basically like at the, the max or the, the minimum as it was. So, hey, look, maybe uh, you can look at this as a, a reason to buy low for Vanderbilt, you know, like maybe if they get back to sort of a closer to a, a healthy roster, uh, then that can, that, that can help them. I, I think that down the road, I think here's, what's really interesting to me. I was talking to a college um, staffer this, just this morning. And uh, do you guys, are y'all aware of what it means to quarantine in a college football program? I mean, I wasn't, I kind of had assumptions, I guess. Aren't they, are, are they pretty much assigned to their dorm room or whatever for the entire? So here's, here's what this, this program does. If, a, if and this is a contact tracing quarantine. So if a, if a, this kid, if a player is roommates with somebody whose girlfriend got COVID or something, and you know, they've, they've got their contact tracing, they, 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 they got tacked. They go to a hotel room for two weeks and they don't leave that hotel room. Like they haven't even tested positive and they go two weeks where they don't get fresh air. They work, they, they, they work out uh, for like an hour workout and on a zoom meeting, I guess as a body wake workout with their strength coach, they get their meals brought to them. They get, they, they're, you know, they jump on those zoom meetings for their, their position meetings or whatever they can do virtually, but it's basically solitary confinement for two weeks. And then, you know, let, like, let's say this is a, a fairly significant player that is contact tracing tagged. He goes into solitary confinement basically for two weeks and then he emerges and it's not like he's going to be in playing shape. It's not like you just stick him in there and throw him 75 plays, you know, next weekend. Uh, so it's this very like, I, I'm, I'm really su- surprised that it's, it's not more discussed, but like that's a, this contact tracing stuff with the 14 days. And now look, granted, I don't know, maybe not all programs are, are, are handling it like that. Maybe you're significantly less strict. Uh, maybe some aren't sort of playing it by the letter of the law. Maybe some aren't doing the contact. Tra- I don't really know how this is all regulated, but um, to just think that that's, that's going to be that, like, that's the life of a, of a, of a football player that gets tagged is just 14 days chilling in the Marriott. Like, that's that's just crazy to me. Do, do the schools at least give them Netflix accounts to use? <laughs> I've tried. I imagine these guys, these kids have like everything anyway on their computers. Well, I mean, I, that sounds like hell, but it also sounds like heaven at the same time. To be honest, not having to deal with anybody for two weeks right now that that wouldn't be that bad. But yeah, you probably get bored really quick. I mean, like I'm I would be uh, I would be very concerned about the you know, the mental health coming like during that time and coming out of it. Like that is a, a very challenging uh, psychological experience for somebody who is surrounded by teammates and friends all the time and is used to moving in big packs of people. That's, you know, I, I hope that there are um, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of attention and a lot of support that's being also provided along with that. I mean, wasn't that I, I believe that that was one of the many um, struggles for Xavier Thomas, the Clemson defensive end. Like not only did he come out of uh, he was in quarantine for a long time, he was you know struggling a little bit. He put on some weight and it, he sort of fell out of shape. And now you know he is still working his way back to being able to to play and compete. But 
according to Dabo Sweeney, that was a, a physical and a mental journey for him to be able to get all the way back from extended quarantine time. So I, that sounds, I mean, I understand Tom, why you're throwing the, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I, I will say that would, that sounds like a big time struggle. Like you mentioned, Barton, just no fresh air. Like that's, it's a lot. Yeah. See, that would be the part that gets me. It's, I, I think I could go without human interaction for longer than two weeks if I had to. It's just the being penned up inside that would drive me insane. Especially you're getting in some workouts in that room. Yeah. Like, it's going to be musty. I get a little musty. <laughs> yes. I mean, um, all right. So as we, uh, as we turn our attention to, uh, you know, sort of the, the way that things are going to start progressing here for, uh, let's say, for, teams like Miami and Florida teams that remain very much with everything that they want to accomplish still out there. You know, Miami comes out of that loss 42, 17 to Clemson with one ACC loss, but everything's ahead of you. You win all the rest of those games. You get a rematch with Clemson at the end of the year, Florida. Yes. You lost right here against Texas A&M, but we talked about the schedule setting up such that if, if that's your only loss, you still go into Jacksonville with the chance to beat Georgia and be able to have a leg up in the SEC East. Like, do you see uh, those two teams uh, being able to come out of those games without too many concerns about who they are and what's ahead? I mean, I it depends. Like, if I'm Florida, I'm not worried. I, I I'm with you. Like you were saying last week, you know losing that game to Texas A&M when you called, it's not really going to change the way that I feel about Florida and losing in the manner that they lost doesn't really change the way that I felt about Florida because we knew just watching them in their first two games against two averageish SEC teams and the way that they were giving up and hemorrhaging points and yards that, all right, Florida's defense is probably going to cost it a game or maybe two at some point, but the offense is awesome. And that's kind of what we saw in, you know, college station there against Texas A&M. Whereas with Miami, the, I don't know if my mind has changed all that much either, because like I've argued that this is, might be the second best team in the ACC and it might still be the second best team in the ACC because just because you're the second best team in the conference doesn't mean that I really think you were capable of competing with Clemson. Mm -hmm. And that was evident, you know, clearly on Saturday night, that team's not ready to compete with Clemson, but Notre Dame might not be able to compete with Clemson. North Carolina might not be able to compete with Clemson. I don't know if any of those losses really changed my outlook on either team for the rest of the season. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't change the opportunity for Florida. I mean, Florida to get like, so if Florida was to get into the playoffs, they were going to have to beat Georgia anyways, probably. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have to beat Alabama anyways, probably. So the, or, or whoever comes in the West. Um, Come on. So, I mean, you're right, right, exactly. So this, like nothing changes. I think the, the, the thing that was, is more, con, like if any, the, the more concerning part for both of these is just sort of what we saw. Okay, like we, not that we thought Miami was going to be Clemson, but hey, can Miami be Clemson? And, okay, clearly that they're just not there. This is just not where that program is. Florida, okay, we know their offense is good. Uh, how is, is their defense a concern? Because it might be. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. And so I think it's, it's – it's, I think they're, everything's still in front of both of those teams. I mean, hell, Miami could run the table and, and still meet Clemson again in the um, ACC championship game. Florida could run the table and and they've got their playoffs hopes right in front of them. I just think that they have big issues that they have to address, whether that's, you know, the wide receiver position for Miami or the, you know, offensive line being stout enough or whatever it is in Florida, you know, all the defensive issues that popped up against A&M. Um, I think the schedule still is, is, is kind of what it was. And, and it's kind of good that these, these games came as early as they did. Do you think that Miami can improve or at least make adjustments to its offense to address the wide receiver play? Because that was, I mean, that was clearly the game plan, part of the game plan. You know, the idea that we think our cornerbacks can be able to go one-on-one -on -one against your wide receivers and we're going to send some blitzes from the linebacker position, try and keep contain and keep Derek King in the pocket. Like, does is, is there a way that Miami is able to uh, improve in those areas by the end of the season? 
I mean, they're not going to play those Clemson DBs. Yeah, in the end. that's what I was about to say. <laughs> it's like they're not facing Clemson's defense for the rest of the season. I don't know about just improving in general because those areas were still somewhat problematic even before the Clemson game. It's just Clemson really exposed it. I think they could improve it. I just don't know how much of an improvement you can make because, I mean, Barton's going to have a better idea of this than I do as far as the overall talent level of the roster. But I don't know if there's like a game breaker at the receiver position on that team to begin with. And I don't know if one's just going to suddenly emerge from nowhere. Yeah, I don't I don't think there is um, because he'd be on the field. Yeah. Um, this is This is a... New system that was installed this offseason. This is uh, not, you know, not the wide receiver position. Doesn't necessarily like it's not one that takes a ton of physical development. You can roll out of high school and be physically ready to go. Um, I don't think I just don't think he's there, and that's a uh, surprising. And that's like uh, it defeats the whole purpose of sort of. Not not the whole purpose, but part of the purpose of installing a spread system, like a wide open players in space sort of system at Miami, because um, you figured you're going to have that's like the least of 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 your issues is is the wide receiver position. But Miami's got to get that squared away. Going back to Florida, I want to pose an opinion to you too. I brought it up on Twitter on Saturday. I still think I'm right, but I did receive pushback, so I want to see what you guys think. In a year where Oklahoma is not going to be Oklahoma because it's already got two losses and it just doesn't look the same, quite the same. Florida is this year's Oklahoma in that it's going to be really good. It's going to be really fun to watch and it might make the playoff, but it has no chance of winning a national title with that defense. So is your argument that Florida is this year's Oklahoma or is your argument that Florida has a shot at a good shot at being the second sec team in, or are they just one in the same argument? It's that, yeah. Or, or, or are you saying they could be the one, the one sec team in like they're, they're a team that is good enough to be one of the best four teams in the country. They're a team that is good enough to make the playoff the way that they're playing. It's just once they get to that playoff level, like Oklahoma, they don't mm-hmm. have a defense that's good enough to beat two other elite teams. And like, that's cause that's what I, that's how I felt about Oklahoma last year. When I was saying early in the season, it's like this team has no chance of winning a national title, not with this defense. I don't care how great their offense is. And that's just how I feel about this Florida team and that they're kind of taking that mantle this year where I think that they're definitely good enough to get there, but they can't win it. So you're, you're not saying that as any sort of prediction about what's going to happen this year. You're more saying that like if you stick this Florida team, these 85 players in mm-hmm. the Big 12 this year, then they're probably winning it and they're probably in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Nah. Chip? No. No? <laughs> just kidding. Just like, hating ass Florida. <laughs> just Georgia Homer. I had a soft ass team, overrated Kyle Trask. They can't run the ball. It's not just defense. Offensive line ain't worth anything. No, I the I think that the the part of it that I definitely agree with the most is the way Barton framed it, where if you stick this Florida team in the Big Twelve this year, they probably win it, make it to the playoff losing the semifinals. But I I don't I do I do think that uh the lack of a like consi- like those Oklahoma teams could run the ball. Now they could run it with like Jalen Hurts or they could run it with, you know, Trey Sermons or Kennedy Brooks. I don't I don't think Florida's a very good running team. You know it have to be, but not all that impressed with it. Hey, how salty is the Big 12 fan that just heard that conversation go down? <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. Like now the SEC starts doing Big 12 stuff and then just one of these SEC teams is getting beat in the Big 12 manner is going to come to our conference and just win it because it's the SEC team. I don't know. I think it might be right still. I, I, th- I think in this case, yes. Well, <laughs> if I look at everybody in the Big 12 and I look at Florida, I don't know who in the Big 12 is beating Florida. If you give Florida's wide receivers and Kyle Pitts and the rest of the wide receivers to anybody in the Big 12, the upgrade is immediate and tremendous right off the bat. I mean, there's just not talent like that at the wide receiver position right now in the big 12. Yeah. And, and to your point about them running the football, I mean, that's, yeah, 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 I get it. Um, but it's sort of like the LSU thing, you know, LSU's getting dinged for not running the football well, but I mean, LSU put up 41, you know, Florida's not running the football well, but they scored on, I think it was seven of nine possessions Mm -hmm. or something. Um, I mean, what, what more you want? And so, and I, I mean, I get the, uh, uh, I'm not dismissing the point, but it's, I think it's a, 
it's kind of an interesting discussion is like, it does it really matter? Maybe it does, but I, I don't know. Like, I think it, if you're that efficient throwing the ball, um, I, I, yeah, I don't know for four, a four minute offense, I guess is what you kind of need. Um, but, uh, Hey, I know you're all about the passes, the extension of the run game who needs to run the ball when we're just throwing little swing passes and, uh, you know, just getting it at, getting the ball out of the perimeter, let skill players do their thing. Mike these, Leach's entire existence is based on that principle. All these analytics nerds are just just infiltrating all of our brains. <laughs> the alpha nerds. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's the other thing we didn't talk about, too, with the postponed Mizzou Vandy game. That just gives alpha nerd an extra week in the lab. Oh, uh, you don't want to give alpha nerd an extra week of prep. Nope. You know, Missouri was like they, they could use a little time to get cleaned up, too, because they, they had a bunch of guys out for mm-hmm. COVID. And as we've seen with Virginia Tech, you know, one good showing on a, a, a bit of a COVID ding roster doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to be good showings on a COVID ding roster. So, um, hey, that that might have been might have been just just what the doctor ordered from Missouri and, too. And who's Missouri's next scheduled game? It's uh, isn't it against Florida. Yep. Tiger's going to take another uh, one down. Alpha, alpha nerd, let's go. That's going to be a that's going to be a sick Big Twelve showdown right there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my, my argument on HQ was it does stink a little bit for Missouri because you've coming off, off the LSU win with a lot of juice and you know, you were going to beat Vanderbilt. It's a chance to string a couple wins together with a first year coach. You know, they're not the ones with, like, they, they have, uh, you know, they, they could use some time to get healthy, but they weren't the ones that hit cancel on this meeting. Yeah. You know, I had, I had Missouri minus 17. I had, I was a big circle <laughs> around that one. <laughs> so that's, that's um, yeah, that, that, I thought I had another, at least another leg on my, on my Vandy train for this weekend, but not to be. All right. Um, each of the last three weeks, there has been a top 10 team that has lost to a team, not in the top 10. And in, in almost all the cases, I think there's four instances of this in the last three weeks, top 10 team takes a loss. And I think in three of them, maybe even they were straight up unranked, but at least in one of them, it was a team that was lower ranked. Uh, Texas A&M was ranked when they took down Florida. So top 10 team that is going to lose next. And basically I'm ruling out Georgia and Alabama because obviously a top 10 team is going to lose right there. Yeah. So uh, who is the next top 10 team that is going to be taking an L to a team not in the top 10? Um, what do you got, Tom? I'm of two minds here. Initially, I wanted to say it was going to be Florida. Florida against, against LSU. LSU. But I, I, I really, it could happen. Because again, LSU's offense has not been the problem. And, you know, defensively, they're bad. So Florida's going to score a bunch of points, but Florida's been scoring a bunch of points against everybody. It scored a bunch of points against the Aggies. Great Big 12 game in that Florida-LSU matchup. Yeah, and they might, you know, LSU might score a whole bunch of points against Florida. In fact, it probably will, but I still think that Florida's going to win that game. So I'm going to go with October 24th, Devin Leary and the NC State Wolfpack. (laughs) Against UNC. Taking down... (laughs) The North Carolina Tar Heels in Raleigh. Chip's going to be there. He's going to have half his pace faded red, half his pace face painted Carolina blue, and tears streaming down one cheek after <laughs> NC State takes down the heels. Game's in I, Chapel Hill, but yeah, I see what you're saying. <laughs> oh, my bad, my bad. I think so. You think you think that we're going to get that everyone's going to survive next weekend, huh? I'm not, I mean, I'm not super confident, but I don't think the Tar Heels are losing to Florida State. I don't think Cincinnati's losing at Tulsa, although I do think that is not something we should just assume. And I do think Florida will squeak by LSU. I think North Carolina at Florida State is a absolute danger zone. Total danger zone. Last, this is the first time that they've been ranked in the top five since 1997. And do you know who their next game was? It was against Florida State. And they lost. I was at that game. Game day was there. Everyone was all fired up. It was a nighttime game. And this was, this was going to be it. This was like, this was going to be the national recognition game. And Florida State came out and granted, very, very different era of North Carolina football. 
But Florida State just came out and was like, you're not moving the ball. Final score is 20 to three. And it was just so apparent from the middle of the first quarter on that North Carolina wasn't going to score a touchdown. And it just took the life out of the building. And uh, maybe it is those childhood memories that has me a little bit wary of this. Because granted, last two visits to Tallahassee, 2010 and 2016 for North Carolina have been wins, including Nick Weiler doing the tomahawk chop down the field after kicking a game-winning field goal to take down the Seminoles in 2016. But I mean, 7:30 p.m. Eastern time. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not. I'm a little bit more wary of that. My pick would be Cincinnati though, because Tulsa's good. I was gonna say there's one key difference between that twenty or that 1997 Florida State team and this 2020 Florida State team, and it's that this Florida State team has already lost three times as many games as that 1997 Florida State team lost. They went 11 and one. This one's one and three. That's a very fair point. <laughs> so has there been a? I'm just. Uh, I think this is true that there has been a top 10 team lose, maybe even to an unranked team, every game since the week three release of the top 25. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the trend we're tracking. Oh, yeah, oh, so did you, listening. did you, you set that up? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. Martin's too busy. So, writing all right, all right, some well, eight year old kid about, this. you know, that like the uptick can be a little slow sometimes. <laughs> um, I thought this was just like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so to keep the trend going, then because it's so I'm I am not convinced it's gonna like that this is gonna skip a week. So I just I'm over here doing so I'm over here doing some some work while you guys are just chatting yeah. chatting Kathy's mm-hmm. uh, Notre Dame playing Louisville. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe uh, North Carolina's playing Florida State. Cincinnati is playing Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Florida is playing LSU. Like those are the those are the four. I mean, I think Cincinnati Tulsa is a legitimate candidate. Obviously, I mean Cincinnati hasn't looked that good this year. And Bearcat so. Bearcats are three point favorites on the road. Short yeah, so, road favorite in that situation. Right. But, Absolutely. I mean, I think Cincinnati is a good choice. But in the spirit of the segment, and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound, but like, is Cincinnati a top ten team? <laughs> <laughs> you know right. what I'm saying? Right, so. right. Okay, so in the spirit of the segment, then, um, I would – I mean, LSU certainly is capable, I would think. Um, I mean, they could just do what, like, the A&M thing. Like, A&M didn't stop Florida. Um, just got a – they got a fump. They got a turnover, and they figure out a way to get a punt one other time. Uh, and then they scored just better every time. So, yeah, like, that could happen for sure. I And then, you know, Louisville last year, week one – had some success against Notre Dame. They that was first our first game of the year. Uh, Notre Dame was like they moved the ball the first like I want to say like the first four four or five drives. They, they they got up and down the field pretty good, and then Notre Dame kind of figured it out second half. But um, I mean, hey, Louisville's still going to get somebody. Like, don't you guys don't you guys quit on us? Don't quit Listen, on us yet. Louisville that Louisville team beating this Notre Dame team is well within the realm of possibility. And it's well within the kind of team that I think Louisville is. It'd be hilarious. It oh uh oh. <laughs> it's because it'd be funny principle. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh, wow. Watch out, Notre Dame. <laughs> oh man. For this Louisville team that came in with the label of ACC Dark Horse. They don't have Clemson on the schedule. They got Cunningham, JV and Hawkins, two two Atwell back. They were solo second place in the ACC Atlantic last year. Best one season turnaround in the country. To start out 0-3 in conference play and then hand Notre Dame its first ever ACC loss. Would be hilarious. Oh, man. Hey, Brian Kelly, are you out there? Because Chip just said it'd be funny. You better go track down some COVID, get this team infected. Y'all don't want to get on that field. In South Bend, too? Oh, man. Be very fun. All right, what else? Uh, looking looking at the weekend outside of the, the top 10 trend that Barton just introduced to the podcast for the first <laughs> Uh, what what sort of has your attention? I'm really interested in the South Carolina Auburn game. And I know it's not like the most interesting game on the board, particularly in the SEC, but I think that this is a good barometer game for both teams in trying to figure out how good they actually are, because I've, I've been open about it. I'm pretty skeptical about this Auburn team 
going, you know, and how it's going to look going forward. I think this is a South Carolina team that, you know, it's one and two, but it's two losses have come to Tennessee and Florida. Neither of them were, you know, blowout losses. They lost to Tennessee by four. They hung it around for Florida for most of the game, ended up losing by 14. And now, you know, they're getting Auburn at home. And I look at this Auburn offense and man, they got the win against Arkansas. We finally started to see some signs of life with explosive plays with tank Bigsby. But I think that this could be a game where Auburn kind of struggles and maybe South Carolina comes out with the upset. So I, I'm really interested in seeing that game this weekend. Cause I think that's going to tell us a lot about both teams this year. I love that pick. I think that's going to be a, a really interesting game as well. I, I also think Tennessee, Kentucky is going to be, Interesting. I mean, Kentucky um, had a couple close losses early in the year. Uh, you know, the offense didn't do squat last weekend, but their defense what played great. And then Tennessee, you know, I mean, they got a lot of they got a lot of kind of love and hype, me included, heading into this this Georgia game, and and they got outclassed in a big way. Um, so I think that that game's going to tell us a lot, and is, is going to be a really tough matchup for both teams. Um, you know, UCF Memphis is this weekend. Uh, that's going to be fun. And then this Don't, game is not, I didn't know if we were going to like call this like a spillover week six game. I guess this is a week seven game, but coastal Carolina, yeah. Louisiana, Wednesday night. That's going to be, that's going to be like, I'm, I'm as excited for that game as, as just about any game this weekend. Um, yeah, I was legit sad when that game got postponed last week. Same, but legit happy. When it got rescheduled to weeknight, just a couple days later. Yeah, the uh, I, I, pu- I pulled this. Um, so the the game that I am very excited for is uh, is Houston BYU because yeah. Houston in its debut lost the turnover battle five to nothing. Houston turned the ball over five times and won forty nine thirty one. Like, As one does. <laughs> like you had five season openers postponed or canceled. Then you had five turnovers and you still won the game by 18. What got in a big hole early and then just poured it on late. You know, we talked about BYU awesome on a Friday night, awesome on a Monday night, awesome in BYU after dark. But you get them at like three thirty, they're just going to be terrible. You you might be able to knock them off, but this is a Friday night game, so we are going to get good BYU. I, I do not feel confident uh, that Houston's defense is going to have the answer for Zach Wilson, and so I think it's going to be very much a, a game that spills over into the early Saturday uh, morning hours for sure. When was when was the last time a team went from a thirty five point favorite one week against an FBS school? To a three-point favorite, the next <laughs> against another, another, against five another opponent. F- yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. That's probably happened. That was a has, that but... was a UTSA team. I mean, UTSA's probably been on the on the the working end of a lot of thirty-five point spreads. Um, but old, um, what's our boy? Um, Jeff Tra- Tra- Trailer. Jeff Trailer. Jeff Trailer. Oh, look at my wife right there. Look at fish grease. See, see my wife. She hot as fish grease. Um, so oh, the other one that I wanted to put out there, I was, I was looking, to, I wrote this stat earlier for, uh, the CBS sports 76, um, post on CBS sports.com. So, uh, 623 passing yards for KJ Costello against LSU in the opener. Since then, KJ Costello has thrown the ball 114 times and the Mississippi state offense has two touchdowns. 114 pass attempts, two offensive touchdowns uh, since that record-breaking opener at Texas A&M. You're going to Starkville to play this Bulldogs team. I don't know, man. Do they even have two touchdowns? What was the final score of the Arkansas game? 21-14. Yeah, but yeah. one of those, wasn't one of those scores a. Uh, I thought the pick know. six was uh, pick six was the other side. Other side, yeah. yeah. Arkansas had the pick six of KJ. Gotcha. So does KJ Costello in those 114 pass attempts? He has three touchdowns. Two of them are from Mississippi State. <laughs> he's got he's uh, got six touchdowns and nine interceptions. That's a nice nice. Race, so. Yeah. So are, are the malcontents going to be purged? 
Is this going to be a spot where they get the Aggies? That's an, that's another off-the-radar game that I'm very excited to see, 4 o'clock Eastern time. I mean, the 4 o'clock Eastern time SEC Network special, I mean, that's where top 15 teams go to die. Here, Here's a stat. SEC quarterbacks this season have thrown 20 interceptions. Costello's thrown nine of them. <laughs> wow. He throws it 50 times a game. Yeah, but I still think the ratio is off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, we we did not. We said we're saving all of our Georgia Alabama for the super supersized big game breakdown for Georgia Alabama. That's going to be coming on Wednesday. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to the Cover Three Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash Cover Three. Uh, we'll be digging into it. I mean, it's, it is a super exciting, super interesting game. Potential preview of the SEC championship game, or maybe the loser falls out of the SEC championship race. National championship contenders, all of it's on the line. It's Saturday night under the lights uh, in Bryant-Denny Stadium. You can watch it on CBS. Stream it on CBSSports.com, CBS All Access, and we will be giving that to you again on Wednesday. Big game breakdown. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Que golazo.